everyone, and welcome to the Daily Friend Wrap. I'm your host, Nicholas Lorimer, and I'm joined today by Chris Hutton. Chris, welcome to the very first Daily Friend Wrap. So let's get into the news of today. And the first thing is a letter signed by 115 CEOs from various companies across South Africa. They have signed a pledge which states, quote, as South African business leaders, we firmly believe in the immense potential of our country. We are committed to building it and have come together to address the current challenges with the aim of achieving sustainable, inclusive economic growth. Through strategic partner partnerships and focused interventions, we have the power to make a significant and positive impact on our nation, creating hope for all South Africans. We are resolutely committed to being a force for good. The CEOs all together represent companies, I think, that are worth 11 trillion rand, so it's quite a lot of money, and employ more than 1.2 million people, which is something like 10%, I think, of the workforce, something like that. Um, I, I, may be, I may be slightly off. Uh, the but way unemployment is going, that could be the total employed in the country. <laughs> Indeed. So, you know, this is a, a big letter from business. And my first impression, and Chris, I'd love to get your thoughts on this as well, is that it's good to see the business sector saying that it wants to be more involved, I guess, in the uh, health and well-being of the country. Um, but it's all just a bit vague. We're not really tackling the problems here, are we? I don't know. What are your thoughts? No, I think I agree with your fundamental assessment there. It's more more buzzwords and cosmetics uh, than what I've seen thus far. We could get more detail in the next few weeks or months, so we can't, you know, I'm not, not to say maybe there isn't that sort of other thought behind it, but based on the statement up until this point, it's very much, you know, talking about inclusive economy, all those sorts of good sounding words, but nowhere across the three pages is there talk of, what reforms business now expects from government sides so and things like electricity, logistics, and crime, which are the three focus areas. Where is the focus on ending the monopoly of ESCOM or the monopoly of Transnet? And in crime and security, what about devolving powers to the provinces, for example, in policing, when national police talk about uh, violence against women and children in South Africa, if there's one portfolio that needs to be changed based on that lack of service delivery, it should be policing. So right. I'm not seeing the the... the clear-cutting demands or requirements from business side. I know business wants to do it in a collaborative way and sound like it's coming, you know, sort of a win-win. But you also need to have certain lines in the sand. And I'm not seeing any of that. There's nothing on expropriation of compensation, national health insurance, um, water use regulations that preference race, for example, nothing on the amended employment right. equity act. You can't sweet talk uh, the, the government yeah. into abandoning all of its ideological prize. You're going to have to right. say, look, the country is in crisis, and everyone recognizes this now, I think, mm -hmm. within the South African elite. Uh, but you can't then also say, but you know, we really, we just want to help you. I mean, it kind of feels a little bit patronizing in a way. No, absolutely. And, and two of the sort of main risks that have jumped to mind for me, number one, in the context of a general election next year, let's say that some of these, some of the, the, the work of this new pledge and this compact it works and some of the state and government begins to function better. You legitimize the current government in the run up to the elections next year. So what sort of right. signal does that send that you, you just now everything is hunky dory, everything will be fine. So, you know, go and vote accordingly. And number two, if you, right. Number two, if you capacitate more state action, you help to assist with the skills that state capacity can be turned against you in the future. So, be very careful where you capacitate bigger governments, which at the end of the day doesn't benefit small and medium enterprises, but benefits those with all the resources to deal with more compliance and more bureaucracy. 
Right. At some point, business is going to have to, I think, take a very big risk in its rhetoric. And it will be a risk. Uh, if it doesn't do it in strength, then government is probably going to target any businesses that speak out uh, oh. directly. But, guys, if you're serious about changing things, that is the only way to go. You're going to have to do it a little bit harder than this. Still, I think this is a good first step. Um, but let's just see where it goes from here. So let's move on to our next one. There's been a lot of debate currently about the National Health Insurance Scheme. It's passed through Parliament. It's now going through the other bit of Parliament, the National Council of Provinces. And it doesn't look like the ANC has any intention to change it much or put the brakes on it. Despite the fact that the thing essentially says that medical schemes will only play, quote, a complementary role, according to Clause 33 of the NHI. And I think a lot of the, uh, the medical scheme industry has suddenly gotten a fright because I think some of them, especially the bigger players, thought that they might somehow be included or, or be able to be cut into this or something like that. And it looks like government is going to, at the very least, uh, in the words of Dr. Nicholas Crisp, consolidate them into fewer companies. Uh, this, this prompted some in Momentum Health to say, but what about low-cost benefit options. These are currently not allowed by the rules because you have to cover a certain number of procedures and a lot of those are financially just not viable for these low-cost things um, according to government regulations. But if they were allowed, they'd be able to get millions more South Africans into the private healthcare system. So the EFF, being very alarmed by this prospect, wanting government control, wrote to the Minister of Health, Joe Patla, and asked him, uh, where the low-cost benefit schemes were going to be included in NHI at all. And he has definitively said, no, we have no intention for low-cost benefit options to be integrated into the NHI environment. And in fact, government has been holding them up since 2015 when they said they began looking at them and have decided to regulate them out of existence, meaning that there are literally, and I think I saw one estimate say, 7 million South Africans who might be able to at least access sometimes the private healthcare system who've been left out. Uh, these things can be 500 rand a month. It's still expensive for quite a few very poor people, but that's affordable for quite a lot of people uh, who currently can't afford medical aid insurance that can cost more than 1,500 rand a month. Chris, what's your take on this? Yeah, the issue of low-cost benefit options that has been running now for many years with the Council for Medical Schemes and no clear transparency on why the delays and the issues around it, apart from then trying to fill in the gaps, which mostly point to then you create more competition and including competition, of course, for, for state-run facilities. So if one doesn't right. compete, then people have their vouchers effectively and they can go elsewhere where they get more bang for their buck for themselves and for their families. So it, it, it helps to create competition and hopefully drive down prices and push innovation even higher as people have to compete for, for your hard-earned money um, in that, that sort of context. So if you really want to achieve something like NHI in a substantive way, access to more quality care, give people the more option people. so that they can use the money to then go between facilities, not that you centralize everything in the hands of the Department of Health. Exactly, exactly. And uh, I think we really kind of see in, in this that the, the government prioritizes its ideological goals over the well-being of South Africans. And this is a really great example. We could have been getting more people into quality health care, but no... Government wants more people to be in the in the state system because it has control over the state system because it can direct the state system, uh, and because it thinks that the state system can somehow be improved. Which uh, <laughs> current current suggestions are that it's going to take a lot to do that, and it's certainly not going to be done under the current policies. All right, for our last story, let's go now to a very bizarre thing coming out of the EFF. The EFF tweeted, uh, I think it was last night, 
the following. The EFF statement on public representatives who failed to organize transport for their constituencies for the EFF's 10th anniversary rally. All of those names who appear on the respective lists below are banned from attending the 10th anniversary rally of the EFF and further consequences will be explored against them and all those who may have pro procured a certain amount of in uh, transportation but did not meet the requisite target. So uh, if I may go on a little bit of a tangent here, in ancient Rome, there were what were called the prescriptions at the collapse of the Republic when the, the dictators, the ruling power, would put out a list of those who were no longer protected by Roman law and who, who wanted. And everyone on that list's life would suddenly be in danger and they would be destroyed. Uh, Chris, this kind of feels maybe a bit more toned down, but sort of the same thing. It's uh, What do you make of it? My initial thought was, I mean, and this is a quite a, a, a radical attempt at sort of party discipline, as it were. And if you don't fulfill certain requirements, then, you know, you're treated accordingly in the sort of public square, as it were. The EFF wants to look like it is focused on, you know, its representatives doing the right thing and, and acting accordingly. But I don't know if that's going to have the intended consequence or the intended effect, as it were. It is... I mean, as with all uh, political parties that, that preference centralization and more centralized control and bureaucracy, it's sort of those, you know, it's almost like a Monty Python skit or something from Yes Minister, where it's now the 10th anniversary of the FF. And despite all the rhetoric of we're going to change things, we're going to run things better, no matter what, you know, there's always going to be shortcomings and failures. How do you handle that? Maybe, maybe the representatives will respond more to the stick approach versus the character approach. <laughs> and indeed, it is the stick approach. Um, uh, on the list are four MPs, seven members of provincial legislatures, uh, and the rest are sort of, there's over 400 people on the list, the rest are all councillors from around the country. So what, are they going to fire all of them? I mean, this is kind of crazy from an organisational perspective. <laughs> and I think it's probably a sign of uh, internal squabbling to come in the EFF. Uh, because there's going to come a certain point, I think, when EFF public representatives think to themselves, you know, maybe we really are just uh, cannon fodder for the leadership mm -hmm. of this party. And that's mm -hmm. not a good place to be in as an organization, particularly one that seems to have stalled, stalled in the polls, uh, as the EFF has over recent polls. But anyway, that's all the time we have for today. We'll have a normal episode of the Daily Friends show, the half an hour one, tomorrow. And, uh, yeah, all I can say is that's a wrap. <laughs>